the increasing demands, increasing anxiety, a reduction in tolerance, and loss of control. Those four things will activate the nervous system, period. The problem is for people with ADHD and autism, because our world is not built with us in mind, demands, anxiety, reduction in tolerance, loss of control is on us almost from the moment we wake up in the morning. So our window for tolerance of extra stressors is smaller, but that's just because of the system of the world we live in. If we lived in this alternate universe where the world was built for ADHD years and we asked somebody who was neurotypical to like, hey, we need you to see full picture, they would also be experiencing the signs of procrastination, distraction, you know, excuses, like not (laughs) in activation. Richard Branson, Michael Phelps, Justin Timberlake, James Carville. Wait a minute. Where are the women? Greta Gerwig, Lisa Ling, Audra McDonald, Simone Biles. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of industries. They all have ADHD, but you don't hear much about that now, do you? You know what else you don't hear about? Are the 43% of people with ADHD who are in excellent mental health. Why aren't we talking about them and what they're doing right? I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka, and that's exactly what we do here. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, and now the author of my new book, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm also a certified ADHD coach and the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a patented system that helps ADHD women just like you get unstuck and fall in love with their brilliant brains. Here, we embrace our too-muchness and we focus on our strengths. My guests and I credit our ADHD for some of our greatest gifts. And to those who still think they're too much, too impulsive, too scattered, too disorganized, I say no one ever made a difference by being too little. Hello, hello, hello. I'm your host, Tracy Antica. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 253 of ADHD for Smartass Women. Please subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter over at ADHDforsmartwomen.com. We can't use the term as apparently the uh, browsers don't like it. And so, well, we can't use it there. But as you probably can tell, we have a new URL instead of tracyonsuka.com. We're going to keep both of them, but it's a long story. Anyway, my purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. And in the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something, not one. And so, of course, I am just delighted to introduce you to Kaylin Johnson. You may recognize her name. I'll tell you why a little bit later. Kaylin Johnson is a healthcare provider, patient advocate, and entrepreneur. She shows high-achieving, neurodivergent, and hypermobile individuals how to unmask their health and feel their best through whole-person care. Utilizing knowledge gained from her training as a clinical pharmacist, functional medicine wellness coach, and healthcare advocate, she bridges the gap between mental and physical health through her professional and personal experience. 
Kaylin lives her life as a queer, ADHD, and autistic individual with hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and PTSD. She lives in Nebraska, but with her neurodivergent wife and likely neurospicy puppy Yoshi. Kaylin, did I get all that right? You got it all. Wonderful. <laughs> me in a nutshell. Yeah. yeah. So I've had the privilege of interviewing Kaylin uh, once before, several years ago. But I still think it's important for our audience to know her story so we can connect to her. So I'm going to go there again, but probably in a little bit more truncated version. So can you just give us, oh, I don't know, you know, the two-minute ADHD diagnosis story since we always start? Yeah, 100%. So nailing this down, it was a a very trying time in a lot of ways in my life. I would have been about, gosh, my early 30s and everything just kind of hit the fan, both in my mental and physical health. And I didn't really understand why. And it was really the physical component that drove me to seek out help. I was starting to have issues with like my my vision, issues with focusing, brain fog, like I had never had before. And it was right around the start of COVID that it really then just kind of was one more stressor that my body and what I realized later, the coping skills I'd come up with for my ADHD just couldn't cut it anymore. So sought help, uh, went the kind of not uncommon, but very unpleasant route of first being told this is just anxiety, then going down the route of like, this is your personality, but uh, even playing around with borderline then at the time. And I was like, okay, none of this adds up. None of this makes sense. Kept seeking out more help, ended up with the therapist that I'm with now. And she right away within the first like two months of us meeting together, she was like, I think you have ADHD. And my jaw hit the floor. She still remembers that, still tells me that. <laughs> and she and, said, go, yeah. And yeah. Was, you were a pharmacist. I was, yep. I was you a pharmacist. I'm sure doling mm-hmm. out stimulant medication and other medication for ADHD, and it never yep. once dawned on you. Not even one time, like not even minutely, like completely. I was, and I worked in academia uh, at the time too, straight out of pharmacy school and then residency. I went straight into academia. So I'm teaching students, working with students every day, and then also providing healthcare. And yes, we were not taught anything, but that very kind of straight algorithm of, you know, how you as a provider experience the person with ADHD, which means then the symptoms need to be very outward and mine were very inward. So I didn't really know that that was a possibility until I was diagnosed myself. So once you knew it was ADHD and you had the benefit Mm -hmm. of hindsight, what are some of the symptoms that you had always wondered about? Maybe from the time you were a child that you now recognize, oh, that was ADHD. I think the main one that always stood out to me was that my brain was never quiet. I was always thinking, always going. It ended up being both kind of a blessing and a curse for me. I still remember one time sitting in the car and I was (laughs) picking apart different nuances of some movie that we'd seen around, honestly, it was different things with like misogyny and like feminism. And I was probably like 14, 15 at the time. And my mom looks over and goes, Kaylin, don't you ever get tired of thinking? And I was like, yeah, I do. But I don't didn't know there was an alternative. So that was a big part for me. Otherwise, it was confusing because 
I was one of those ADHDers that developed a lot of coping mechanisms that looking back could look a lot like OCD to keep my ADHD in check. I was extremely overregulated. I knew that like when I got home from school that if I didn't do my homework right away, that it would take such an effort for me to to do it that I would like neurotically like come home, don't even talk to me. Like I'm, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to like power this out, power through. Power through was pretty much how I lived life. Hence why I burnt out pretty hardcore. So it was this runway. I, I can't yep. relate to that. And if you stop, you won't be able to start up again. So you just kind of keep going down the runway, yes. right? Yes. Yes, that exactly. And my sister was more of the, I guess, kind of uh, more hyperactive presenting ADHD. So it was like, oh, no, no, no. She's like the ADHD one. Kaylin's like the the perfectionist. Like she just always gets things done. Like no, there's no way there's ADHD in there. Yeah. Yet it was just a difference in how we each coped with yeah. ADHD we both had. You were intense and you were driven, but all you have to do is listen to how fast you speak. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Keep it's a Ferrari, right? Like once we turn it on, we're going. When I watch you and I listen to you speak, I would say yeah. you're combined type. Are yeah. you combined type? Yep. Yep. Definitely uh, combined. Okay. It was just more of the what you said was so classic. Wait, don't you ever get tired of thinking? And I have heard that said to girls, especially. Like more often than I can count. And it never dawned on me that that is like the perfect comment, right? It's a leap to, okay, what else is going on here? Yes, that exactly. And then, you know, it's one thing that I see, especially in girls, or I work specifically with a lot of high achieving, um, self-described high achieving, neurodivergent people, ADHDers, especially. And it's one of those things where if you are not a bother, to people, Mm -hmm. then why would we even look at ADHD or look at like diagnosing or, you know, like discovering who you are? Look, you're doing just fine. I had somebody tell me that the other day, even actually, honestly, my wife and I are trying to um, have a baby right now. And my uh, provider was like, well, you may not need, you know, any medications. It looks like you're, you're doing uh, great in life. And even in that moment, like it started to bubble up within me. And I was like, Ooh, it's the masking. Like she yeah. sees the mask. Like, and that's still so hard to take down in so many ways. Well, you said if you're not a bother, you're even, you're even like less than a bother. You are yeah. a benefit, right? Yeah. I yes. really relate to this, this intense driven go, go, go. It's hyperactivity. <laughs> And this is that hyperactivity also going on in your brain. But I think, and you tell me, I think we are so externally go, go, go hyperactive because then we don't have to deal with the internal hyperactivity. I think very much so. I think it's kind of a way to channel that or to kind of like balance that out. And we know too, especially when it comes to things that are playful and fun, that the brain has a hard time being anxious and overthinking at the same time it's doing something that's playful and fun. We even know that the brain starts to produce more theta waves, which theta is what we produce when we're in like REM sleep and we're calm, where a lot of ADHDers in that like hyper-focus, that ruminating kind of area, they're going to produce more beta waves, which is really a stress response. So I think it's also a way, you know, I always say, um, uh, can I curse? 
Oh my God. Is that okay? Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I had, I had to check. So one of the things I always say to my patients is the body doesn't do things for shits and giggles. The body always makes sense. We may not know why the behavior is happening, but it makes sense. So for an ADHD or then who's being very productive on that external side, one of the things I'm looking for, I'm like, hmm, is that the way of the body coping with the fact that the brain is stuck in this beta stress stance for a lot of the time and it knows it needs to get down into theta with this place where it can rest and be? The body makes sense. It doesn't do things for shits and giggles. Wow. Okay. So it makes me think about all of these, you know, the aura ring and the whoop and the, or the Apple watch, the health, uh, whatever. And certain things that they look at, and now I can't remember what they are, that are related to your nervous system. And I honestly always feel like I'm great. But then I look at the statistics that come from these, all these different gadgets, and that might tell you something anyway. Why do I need this many? And it's like, no, those aren't good scores. And I wish I could remember what the, what the, you know, what the score is that I'm even talking about. And I can't understand why, because I feel really good, but it's telling me, no, you're stressed. And I think I feel good. You learn probably, right? Your body learns to adjust where that's where you feel good. Well, I just launched a book, you know, pre-order a book. So what do I expect? But it's just, you know, I've been so good about my sleep. Yes. But ever since, honestly, ever since my mom passed away in the summer, my sleep has gone, you know, it's bad again. And so I'm going to do a training on sleep because then I know I have to go back to, you know, what I know works. So that's really interesting to me that even though it can feel good because it feels familiar, what your body is sending mm-hmm. or telling you based on all this crap, right, is that it's not good, right? You're, you're actually stressed. You just nailed why I am so passionate about the nervous system and talking about this with ADHDers because that is exactly, it is, a, it is the key understanding to having an ADHDer be well and be resilient. And we don't even realize that so much of how we live our life is actually stressing our body out. And just because our mind has decided, I'm okay with this, I'm you know cool with it, that the body and the mind really do have sometimes different experiences of an event. So I always think of it kind of like if a cat scratches you, your brain might first be like, oh, like F that cat. And then it might be like, oh wait, I stepped on its tail. Not a big deal. Not going to worry about it. But the body is still going to be like, no, no, no. I got, I got scratched. Like, I don't, I don't like this. I'm still going to pull away every time that that happens. So even if your brain's like, no, 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 I can like hyper-focus and push through to get this paper done. That doesn't still mean that your body doesn't pay a price. For that. Yeah. And for me, I just know when my sleep is off, you know, literally decades, Caitlin, I have been fighting this. I don't need sleep. Sleep is a waste of life. There's so much to do and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But when I don't get enough sleep, yes, I can function just fine. Like I I feel fine. Yeah. I just know that I'm not right. That the sleep is so important, especially when what that's the story. Your lifespan is directly proportional to the quantity and quality of REM sleep you get. Gosh, when I heard that, that's actually when I started to change my ways. Yes. So, okay. So the last time, wait, before, before we go there, I want to wrap up on the, on the story as far as, um, diagnoses. 
I'd love to know what has changed since you were diagnosed? My entire life. I mean, completely. You know, to external people in my life, it may not look as different, but from the internal state, absolutely massive. I really realized how much I was living into an idea of who I thought I was, but this gave me the context to understand who I actually was. And really recognizing that from the time I was tiny, even though I I knew who I was, uh, the messages that I got of like, Kayla, no, like your shirt's not itchy. You're fine. Suck it up and go to school. Or Kayla, no, you don't need to get up and do that right now. Or don't ask that question right now. Like uh, that that was 10 minutes ago where my brain just finally made that connection. (laughs) But (laughs) all those things meant that I had built a life based off of an idea of who everyone else told me I was, but none of it was based off of who I actually was. So I really felt like I was an infant in curating a life that was really fit for me again, which was both daunting and a grief process, but then also really exciting to get to kind of I I feel like I'm an artist in my own life now and through all the senses. And it's so, yes, my life is completely different than what it was before. And in a very good way. Uh, In the absolute best way. The grass is not only greener, it it is a pasture and it is wonderful to live a life that is actually aligned with who you are, your brain, your body, every step of the way. It's brilliant. Yeah. So I think since the last time we spoke, I don't remember a diagnosis of autism and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Is that true? Yeah. So I believe that the last time we spoke, I believe I had the autism, but I think it was pretty new. Um, And then I I think you're correct. I don't think I had the um, Ehlers-Danlos at the time. So that came last summer was when that diagnosis came. Okay. Let's start with autism. So what does that mean? How does that, what, you always use the term spicy. I remember that about you. What does that add to the ADHD? You know, it adds quite a bit of spice. The funny thing is the the autistic side, for whatever reason, that one didn't surprise me. That only surprised me when my provider saw it in me because I knew that I was good at hiding it. I knew that people didn't know. That though, I had started to say that I felt like I was autistic when I was probably about 13, 14. And the reason for that was because of the intense sensory sensitivities I had. And I correlated that with autism. Now knowing sensory processing differences can be for more than just autism, um, that though was one of the core features that I definitely had. Sound, touch especially, um, were huge for me. The other, though, piece of that was my really intense, I guess, obsession with logic, that everything is garnered by logic. There's always a classic story that my mom tells when we were in the grocery store and I was four and I we were walking along a shopping cart and I was walking at the very front of the shopping cart and she goes, Kaylin, stand on a side of the shopping cart. And I just kept walking and she was like, Kaylin, stand on the side of the shopping cart. And I was like, I am on one of the sides of the shopping carts. Like it was one of the sides. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? And some lady stopped her and was like, she's going to be a lawyer. Uh, but it wasn't. <laughs> But even then, it was like, I couldn't make sense of 
somebody else's context of directions because my context for it always was so logical, especially around the linguistics that were used. So there were a lot of things that I misunderstood, didn't understand the growing up, like teachers, directions, things like that, that weren't necessarily not me not being uh, focused, but me very much needing to understand each exact word of what they mm-hmm. said and needing very clear, logical explanations for what was happening. So, which might be the exact opposite of ADHD, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I, I wonder, oh my gosh, okay, this is another connection. And I, I've thought about this for a while, then it's also might be responsible for. And I can't remember the exact words you use because brain, but my impression was that this kind of go, 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 very specific, don't rest. What am I trying to say? I can't even remember where it went, but that that is also combined with it because, you know, I don't have the sensory stuff, but I do, but it's almost like we care about what we care about, right? So yes, real loud noises. Like you will never find me in a bar or like concerts or I just never cared about that kind of stuff. And I don't, it, it, it's not pleasant for me. Yeah. And also like visual things are really important. Like my surroundings have to be really pretty, you know, gardens, flowers, that. So there are, and that is part of sensory, right? So, you know, but to the point of like, it's, it's weird how much I care about these things. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so I, I, and I, for a while now, because there's definitely autism in my family. And for a while I've said, I wonder, but then the logical part is probably, yeah, I'm, I'm highly intuitive, much more intuitive than I am, you know, logical. But again, I almost feel like this is all one part of a big spectrum and we have bits and pieces, right? And it's however it all comes together for you. Yeah. The biggest part where the symptoms are, that's kind of the label that you get. Exactly. And I think it's also basically what you were kind of explaining was it's also all how you... (laughs) (laughs) It's all how you... And I need to get the words out. (laughs) It's like, it is based on how you perceive that because... You know, even the fact of me like really being a very logical person, people are always really surprised though by the way that I practice and being a clinical pharmacist and how much I do talk about the intuition and interoception. I find though also that I am a very intuitive person, but my intuition feels very logical. So it is logical for me to follow that gut feeling, even if I can't quite explain why yet. And so I think there's also, again, there's there's a lot of crossover in um, or a wider definition and how we really define logical uh, structured thinking and how we define sensory um, sensitivities or sensory preferences that, like you said, I think there's way more crossover um, than we really even know yet. Yeah. I don't know. There's something, this sounds so weird, but there's something about your energy that I just feel really mirrors mine. Yeah. So anyway. Feel it. I feel it. Um, I I guess what I'm trying to say is you make me think again, well, maybe there is some autism because there's literally like autism all over my family. It's and and ADHD too. Okay. So Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, tell us what that is. And um, okay, let's 
Tell us yeah. what it is. I'm not going to ask you three questions at one time. <laughs> You're fine. So yeah, so it is a group of connective tissue disorders that are all genetically inherited. And there's 13 different kinds. 12 out of the 13, we know the genetic marker for. So you can get um, a genetic report done to see if you have one of those 12 of 13 of the 13 kinds. There is one that we don't know the genetic marker for yet. It also tends to be the most common and the most common one that is found within the ADHD population, which is hypermobility Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Or sometimes some people are even diagnosed then with hypermobility spectrum disorder. But they basically describe a connective tissue difference in the body where it's basically, um, I always think of it as being not as tight. Anywhere you have connective tissue, it's kind of loose, it's floppy, but that leads to a lot of issues throughout the body, including secondary diagnoses are really common of ADHD and both autism. Sensory processing differences are really common in uh, HEDS, which is the acronym for hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And as well, so one of the most interesting things I find is with my ADHDers who have HEDS, one of the things I always really uh, have to look out for is are those ADHD symptoms thinking, are, are we looking at dopamine as the cause there, which is generally like what we're thinking of with executive functioning differences. But with the HEDS patient, because they have those differences in connective tissue, one of the classic things they struggle with then is blood perfusion. So their body has a hard time working against gravity when they've got these loosey-goosey veins and arteries to get blood up to their head. So if you are sitting up in class as a student with a chair that's cutting into the back of your legs and all the blood flow is sinking to your, your legs, the bottom part of your body, and your body is really struggling to get blood up to your brain, what is it going to look like? It's going to look like you can't focus. It's going to look like you can't pay attention. It's going to look like your body wants to get up and move because if we are moving, then our blood is pumping to get blood up to our head. So I'm always looking at, are we dealing with a blood perfusion issue? Are we dealing with a dopamine issue? Or for most of them, it's both. Oh my gosh. So they get the double whammy. Yep. And then they go into perimenopause or pregnancy and they get the double whammy. And then most of them are like misdiagnosed then again with all these different issues, um, whether it's thinking then they have uh, a lot of them blood pressure issues, because again, how does the body respond? This is where the nervous system comes back into play. So when you're sitting there in that chair, uh, let's say in school, and you're trying to focus, but you're not getting enough blood flow to your brain because you have hypermobility, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, your body's only way to get that blood flow there is by turning on the sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight-flight response. So it increases the heart rate, so that way the blood will pump harder and faster. Well, what does that feel like then? Unexplained anxiety, unexplained panic, um, feeling like you're wired or like bouncing off the walls. But all of this is because there's this really complex thing happening internally for that poor little person's body that's just trying to get enough blood flow to their brain. And yet we see the behavior and we name the behavior. But again, the body doesn't do things for shits and giggles. And there's a whole other plethora of pathophysiology that we really have to look at in our ADHDers who also have hypermobility. Wow. What do your symptoms look like? Yeah. So the physical symptoms that I struggle with the most um, are joint issues. So certain joints uh, have a lot of pain in. I've had pain, especially in my wrists, since I was a small child. Um, 
I also, one of the ones that I have is, um, it's really common that we will have very um, sensitive and soft skin. My wife would literally always ask me, how are you so soft? How are you so soft? And now I tell her, I'm like, oh, it's it's the other sandals. <laughs> like, <laughs> don't eat a lotion. Um, the My skin would also rip. So I was a dancer, which is really, really common because we're usually very flexible because the ligaments are made of connective tissue. So really, uh, if you want to find some undiagnosed hypermobile people, go to a gymnastics studio, go to a dance studio. (laughs) You know Adele Bridges? Uh, Yes. Yep. So she wrote, too flexible to feel good. Mm -hmm. And she she has a following on Instagram. I think it's half a million. I mean, I don't even know how she does what she does. Yeah, right. She is Incredible. so ridiculously flexible. She's adorable. Yeah. And so that's what it looks like. That's exactly what it looks like, especially from the outside. Like mm-hmm. then from the the inside version, a lot of what you see then is so there's a lot of difficulties then again right in regards to the nervous system and the nervous system being able to to stabilize because it's always really struggling to get the pressure to be where it needs to be. And there's a whole lot of complex pathophysiology that I could go into, but I won't right now. I'll I'll spare everyone for the moment. Um, But it's uh, the thing then that we see when the nervous system gets off that often and that sympathetic activation is turned on, it's a package deal. So think again, like you're running from a tiger. That's what your base, your body, your entire body is basically responding as running from a tiger. But this can happen for somebody who's hypermobile just as they're standing for a prolonged period of time, putting their makeup on. Like that was one of the classic symptoms for me. I'd get super dizzy, feel really bad brain fog, feel like I was going to pass out when I would stand for even 10 minutes. And I was a marathon runner and I would be like, God, like, why do I feel like just awful when I'm standing in the pharmacy? That was a big thing too for me. But But when that happens... So you're a marathoner. So when you're running, you don't feel that. It's when you're just standing... So that's usually when it's worse. Now, at the same time, <laughs> I didn't know I had uh, Ehlers-Danlos when I was running a marathon, and I didn't understand why I was having all of these GI pain issues, all of these joint pain issues. I broke my foot. Like, I don't run that way anymore because I found out that was not necessarily the best thing for my body. Um, but because I was moving, I at least wasn't having the feeling of like I was going to pass out, but it was really, really hard on my joints um, and on my gut. But. And so was it just you and that brain just pushing yourself? Come on, you can do this. Suck it up. That Yeah, that that is exactly. I knew how to tap in. So that's the thing. When we look at the nervous system, when it tops out at that highest peak where it's going to do basically like a forced shutdown where it's kind of that that trapped, that hopeless. It's honestly where the body is like prepped for death and it like forces you to rest. <laughs> I know the drama, but that's what that is. But the thing that happens up there is we produce endorphins then that help block pain. Yeah. So it's also really, really common then that people with EDS have a really high pain tolerance because they they get themselves up into that that's called dorsal vagal um, area there where you basically don't feel pain as much. I was so good at that that I made a wonderful athlete and could totally kick ass in sports. But that was really because I had trained my body so well to just go up into this prepped for death state and could hold that for an hour and a half while I ran a half marathon and then wondered why my body had so many problems after. Wow. Here we are. So you don't run marathons anymore. Nope, I don't. I do not. And 
honestly, the, you know, my wife's a personal trainer and we actually both were on the rowing team in college together. It's actually how we met. Um, so both, you know, athletics are a big part of our life and we're a big part of our growing up. So that was actually probably the first place that I really started testing out how I really wanted to engage with my nervous system in living my life as somebody with ADHD, autism, and HEDS, and really started paying attention to how I felt in every moment and trying to find this nuance of being comfortably uncomfortable instead of being uncomfortably uncomfortable. Because I only knew that that other, I didn't know that there was more of a choice where I could stop and that it was okay to feel good. That was almost foreign to me to do something and feel feel good doing it. <laughs> I was just thinking about my whole disjointed, like what I was trying to explain, and I'm going on a tangent here, just so you know. Please, love um, it. What I was trying to s- explain just now, as far as, you know, ADHD versus autism. And I think what it is, is it's the extreme hyperfocus. So there's hyperfocus, but then it's almost like when autism is involved, it's even more hyperfocused than that. And so I think for a lot of us, women with ADHD, men too, but we talk to women, it can also show up in how we run businesses and, you know, the drivenness and that, do you know what I'm saying? Uh, So I think that, and I'm sorry, I'm coming back to this, but I wouldn't be able to think if I couldn't get that out. Yes. (laughs) Um, I think that's what I, where I see it the most, but it's really fun, right? It's so fun. Is that it's so fun and we get so much dopamine and just personal satisfaction and all of that pride that we stop listening to our body and it's just go, 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 go. Yep. However, I also think when you have that combination, it is easier to be classically successful. Yes. Yes. So you see a lot of entrepreneurs and Yes. It's, and I think it's really finding that balance. And the thing I always, you know, say like with my patients is that I just want you to understand your choice point because I think a lot of ADHDers then are doing things still into their adulthood just because it's the way that they've done them, but really giving them the choice point of, hey, you don't have to feel this way. There is another option. Now, I'm the first one to say there are times where it's like, I know I'm going to hyper-focus on this thing and it's going to push my body into a stress response state, but it's going to allow me to really think linearly and methodically and to really just power this out and get this done. I still choose to do that sometimes, but it's a choice, which makes it very, very different. And I understand then how to balance that choice where if I'm going to choose to do that, that's a stressor on my body. Okay. Maybe I'm not going to go um, hang out outside in the 90 degree weather that day. Cause that's also a stressor on my body. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm not going to force my brain to think like a neurotypical and some other thing that I'm going to do today. Like I'm, I'm going to balance out the stressors and really understand that just because it's how everybody else did it when we're kind of like, why is this so hard for me? Because it's a demand, because it's a stressor and really understanding then so you have a choice in how you live your life. Okay. So I guess we should go there now. So it's a neurobiological condition. So it's differences in the brain and the nervous system, right? (laughs) Yeah. Emotion isn't even discussed in the DSM-5 as criteria, right? For ADHD. Yet 
So many women with ADHD will say that emotional dysregulation is probably the symptom that they struggle with the most. Yeah. And so this is why I asked you to come back because the nervous system, right? A strong nervous system is important to a healthy, happy ADHD brain. So where do we start? Can you just kind of explain the basics? And I know you've kind of touched on, you know, sympathetic or parasympathetic, but get it down to the base level to someone who's never heard those terms before. Yes. Let's, let's start from the get-go. So when we're talking about the nervous system in the way that we're talking about it, specifically, it's the autonomic nervous system, which is a component of our entire peripheral nervous system, which includes the parasympathetic and the sympathetic. But overall, the autonomic nervous system regulates all the involuntary physiologic processes of the body. So breathing, uh, digesting, how your liver works, uh, your your heart, like it, it, it's everything that you're not having to think about to keep your body going is what the nervous system controls. So it's pretty important. <laughs> it's kind of what, it's kind of the backbone of our organism walking around here. So we've got two main parts though, that kind of share time and flip back and forth that help to regulate our nervous system depending on what's happening in the environment around us. So we've got the parasympathetic nervous system, which also is known as our rest and digest. So when we are in a parasympathetic state, it's what operates all of the life-sustaining processes for us during times that we feel safe and relaxed. Mm -hmm. So when you're, you can think about parasympathetic, it's, you know, some of the physical things that we'll see is it stimulates salivation. Um, the pupils are constricted because we're not having to look for danger. Um, the heart rate decreases, uh, digestion is simulated. I always think about, um, uh, like a group of lions and how the alpha will yawn and then all the other lions yawn. What that is doing, it's basically the nervous systems communicating to each other. Where the you alpha do that too though, right? I know, right? Exactly. Our nervous systems do it too. You don't, <laughs> I automatically <laughs> And that's a way for me saying, hey, I'm safe, you're safe, we're safe, we can all chill right now and just digest and be well. So- the opposite of that, though, is when our sympathetic nervous system gets activated, which is our fight, flight, and freeze response. So it's what operates all those life-sustaining processes when we are in times of danger or in times of stressful situations. So think about mob mentality. If you are like in a grocery store and people start going sprinting by you, you may have n- no oh, particular mob like the mafia mob. <laughs> Well, I think the same thing, right? <laughs> that one too. That one too. <laughs> I think there's probably a lot of sympathetic activation going on there, also. But <laughs> never get out of yeah. <laughs> right. But this is basically a human wiring. So that way, like you do join up with the group because if we were like living back in the day and you're like living in the forest and you know Joe goes running by and you don't hear the tiger, you want to start running too. Your nervous system wants to pull, wants to do that thing. It's so like humans don't survive alone. They've survived in groups. So our nervous systems are literally connected and literally yeah. talk to each other. It's so cool. I love it. Yeah. But <laughs> the sympathetic nervous system, uh, you know, it's stimulated. It can also be simulated when your brain or your muscles aren't receiving adequate oxygen or blood flow, such as when you have blood pooling or venous laxity or even things like dehydration, which anybody can experience, but people with, um, 
EDS or even people with ADHD who sometimes forget to drink, that would be me sometimes as well, uh, dehydration can be more common, which will activate our sympathetic nervous system again. And it's so interesting because we think that all of this stuff that we are doing is by choice. Nope. But it's not, right? So is it is it appropriate, you know, when you think of autonomic nervous system that it's just automatic? Yeah. Okay. You know, so, I always, we are a slave to our biology, straight up. How is this related to ADHD? Yeah. So one of the most important things to, to know around this is that when blood flow is diverted, whether you're in parasympathetic or sympathetic, it's diverted away or towards the organs that are going to be most important to it. So the where I see this play out most often for my ADHD years, and especially with that emotional uh, dysregulation or regulation part of it, is really helping them recognize when their body is in these fight or flight states. And also, it can really help take away some of that shame and guilt for why am I this way? Why am I responding this way? When a lot of times it's like, well, your nervous system's activated. You don't have another choice. So one of the main places when we undergo nervous system activation that blood flow is pulled away from is from our prefrontal cortex. And that's that big outside part of our brain that controls our values, our morals, um, logic, decision-making. So blood flow is diverted away from there. Because if you're founding from a tiger, your brain's like, we don't need to care about values. You see those hundred babies in front of us, we're going to run right over them and not care because we just want this organism to survive. (laughs) Right, right. That's what's happening in your brain at that moment. So more blood flow is going to your amygdala and the amygdala is what controls that fear center. So the only thing you're operating out of in that moment is safety and survival. That's it. So if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, why haven't you turned this paper in on time? Are you just being lazy? That activates your nervous system. In that moment, you are not going to be able to respond out of like that person, that that who you are, when you think of like really who you are, like Tracy. Like Tracy's not there. Amygdala Tracy's there. And she wants to be like, forget you. I'm done. I'm not learning another thing here in this moment. So it's really helping understand that like whether it's a physiological trigger or an emotional trigger, if that sympathetic nervous system is activated, you are not able to be that person you want to be. So we have to be able to understand how to get that back online so that we can act within our values and also complete tasks then, not in a state of constant stress and stimulation. So if impulsivity is a symptom of ADHD, yeah. would we be more likely to be activated, right? That we would just go there much quicker than say a neurotypical. Yes, that is exactly like we can go from zero to 100 with that so much quicker. Um, That's true for people with autism as well. And in so many ways, it's a pretty base formula. So I don't care who you are, if you are ADHD or not, if your body experiences the perception of or actually increasing demands, increasing anxiety, a reduction in tolerance or loss of control, then your nervous system will be activated. The thing is, say them again. Say them again. Yep. Yep. So the increasing demands, increasing anxiety, a reduction in tolerance, and loss of control. Those four things will activate the nervous system, period. 
The problem is for people with ADHD and autism, because our world is not built with us in mind, demands, anxiety, reduction in tolerance, loss of control is on us almost from the moment we wake up in the morning. So our window for tolerance of extra stressors is smaller, but that's just because of the system of the world we live in. If we lived in this alternate universe where the world was built for ADHDers and we asked somebody who was neurotypical to like, hey, we need you to see full picture right now, they would also be experiencing the symptoms of procrastination, distraction, you know, excuses, like not (laughs) in activation. So it's really a body under demands and stress. That's what we're seeing. Okay, so your nervous system is activated and... What does that feel like so that they know okay. this is exactly what's happening to me? Yes, 100%. So thinking about it, right? You, you're just like, oh, that's just who I am. Yep, exactly. And that's one of the key things is like helping people notice some of those physiological responses that are so common. So things that we'll see, um, feeling like you can't get a deep breath. So feeling kind of that shallow breathing tired but wired. That's a classic one I see, especially in a lot of my ADHDers where you're really exhausted, but you feel like you're bouncing off the walls. I always call that borrowed energy. That's that norepinephrine and cortisol that's being dumped that would help us get away from that tiger in that moment. Increased heart rate or unexplained anxiety, Um, Mm -hmm. like feeling like you're kind of panicking, but there's nothing really that you notice that uh, is setting that off. Easily full and digestion issues. That's one that actually really? feels what easily fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What does so, that mean? Yes. So when our nervous system is activated, blood flow is also diverted away from the gut because if you're running from a tiger, the body's like, we don't need to send energy to digest food right now. We need to use that blood flow elsewhere. So when this is why like things like IBS um, and GI issues are Mm -hmm. commonly diagnosed in the ADHD and autism community, it's nervous system activation. So that's what's happening. So Blood flow is diverted away. So like I have a lot of times my patients then like even before eating, making sure we're doing things that are going to calm our nervous system, making sure we're not noticing these symptoms at that time, because if we are, we're not going to be able to digest. So think about an ADHD or who maybe has social anxiety, who maybe goes out to eat. And then every time after they're like, I have bloating, I have pain, like I have all of these issues. The nervous system activation is really the reason behind that until we can get them into a state where they're not feeling activated by that occurrence. We can't necessarily hope for those gut issues to improve. And does that become like a self-fulfilling prophecy too, right? Every time you go down and eat, you're bloated, you don't feel good. Yep. Then you're yep. just like, oh, it's the food. It's the, yeah. Huh? Yep, exactly. I have a lot of um, people then who have ARFID, so avoidant restrictive food intake disorder or different than eating disorders along with that as well, thinking again that it was the food that was causing these issues where a lot of times it is kind of how they are having to live this highly stressful, highly demanding life, not even again recognizing what all the stresses and demands are on them. And then the physiological repercussions and how this again drives a lot of our diseases. So I saw a stat recently recently that 90% of people seeking help in the medical community or from a medical health provider are seeking help for stress-related disorders. Well, because it's all related, right? Yeah. Yep, exactly. (laughs) Like all of it, 90%. So 
that's why like I am so passionate about the nervous system because it really then is it's you know why we see so many more rates of pain related disorders um you know uh, cardiac like disorders like so many more just diseases autoimmune issues with mystery illnesses right uh-huh. well, I don't know where it came from that is my favorite type of patient to work with I always call it being unexplainably unwell where yeah. Usually what I find if I'm going to go as far upstream as I can, if I can help them understand their nervous system and really figure out what those triggers are, help them come back more in tune with that, they can feel better. We can get them at least having an improved quality of life. I would assume that irritability is also nervous system activation. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That is one of my classic ones to um, have to help people in differentiate when they're in hyper-focus versus flow state. So hyper-focus really, I'll use that as the term to describe when we are in that that super, super focused zone. But if anything bothers us, we're going to bite its head off. <laughs> we're, we're not going to be able to like keep our cool, chill. Like, oh my God, if somebody interrupts me, I'm going to like... Any transition, off. right? Uh-huh, right. Like that, not a go. That's like, if if I'm on like the bike in our gym, my wife comes in, asks me a question and I want to like, you know, <laughs> jump out the window and rip my hair out. That's a good sign oops, okay, I'm a little activated right now. I'm a little Mm hyper-focused versus flow state where that's when the body really is is wanting to do something. So it, it is going to, it has the energy, it has the motivation to do it without utilizing the norepinephrine, the cortisol, these high energy dumps to be able to, to do that. But as we said before, that actually becomes kind of addictive. And a lot of ADHDers just kind of fall into that because that's what we're used to. And we know and we trust we can get stuff done in that state, but that state is hurting our body but irritability, feeling easily agitated uh, are two like very classic signs that, yep, you are sympathetically activated. You know, Kaylin, that is the best description of the nervous system that I've ever heard. You've made it so accessible, very simple to understand, brilliant. Five years ago, I created this podcast to learn with you, to learn from you about ADHD and how it affects women. Guest after guest and all the research I've done on the solo episodes confirmed what I had suspected all along, that I needed to change the conversation around ADHD because I was certain that we were getting it all wrong. And I knew that because every single time I met another one of you, it confirmed again what I say on this podcast every episode, that I've never met an ADHD woman that wasn't truly brilliant at something, not one. And at this point, we're talking about thousands of ADHD women. So I know I'm right. In all of those five years of recording over 250 episodes, I have not monetized this podcast. That means I've absorbed all the costs. My concern was to do what I thought was best for you, my listeners. I did not want to distract you. Since then, we've had over five and a half million downloads. We rank in the top one half percent of all podcasts on any subject in the world. I don't know any podcast with these kinds of numbers that hasn't monetized by taking on sponsors. About two years ago, I started considering sponsors because I was approached daily and I was told I was a fool for not having them. But I haven't been able to find the perfect fit. And so I said no time and time again. I can't take on a sponsor whose product I don't personally use 
and really see value in for our ADHD brains. I just can't do it. This means I've left a lot of money on the table every single year. Money that, frankly, could have defrayed a lot of expenses. It is very expensive to record a podcast week after week, year after year, pay the audio engineer, the podcast producer, my graphics people, the VA, all the people, right, that make this possible. With that in light, right now, for the first time ever, I have a huge favor to ask of you. I wrote a book called ADHD for Smartass Women with HarperCollins' William Morrow. This book was inspired by all of you. In fact, many of your stories are in this book. It is a distilled version of the most important episodes of this podcast to help you and women like you fall in love with your ADHD brain. Everything you need is right here, all in one place, all in one book. So my ask of you is this. If you have ever received any value from this podcast, or if you've ever felt supported by me through this podcast, or if you've ever sent me an email and received a response back or a video back or advice from me, then it would mean the world to me to have your support in return by pre-ordering a copy of my book. Why is it so important to have your pre-order rather than have you order on the day the book comes out? Because pre-orders have historically been viewed as a predictor of a book's success by retailers. Look, if your book is getting buzz before publication date, booksellers give those books more exposure, which makes it more likely that that book will hit the bestseller list. So why is this important? Because the more buzz your book gets, the more reach we get, right? The more women will hear about it. And the natural offshoot of all of this is we can help more women fall in love with their ADHD brain. They no longer need to live in shame. Please help me spread the word and please support this cause. I need to hit a goal of 200 pre-orders every week until publication date. Now, that probably doesn't sound like a big deal, but I am telling you, it is really hard. I need everyone's help. Would you help me by pre-ordering your copy and maybe a copy for... I don't know, all of your friends for the holidays. The book comes out on December 26th after all the holiday craziness subsides, unless, of course, you celebrate Kwanzaa, in which case it's also a perfect Kwanzaa gift because Kwanzaa starts on December 26th. I really appreciate your help. And when you pre-order right now, I've got wonderful bonuses for you that you'll get for free. Bonuses like workshops with me. One on what ADHD really looks like in women. Another on ADHD stress and sleep, specifically how to get better sleep. These are strategies that work, and they're from a former sleep denier, me, who has since been reformed. You can ask my husband. In December, you'll also get our ADHD for Smartass Women appendix, where we have created the best strength-focused books, websites, directories, and tools for falling in love with your ADHD brain. All of this for the cost of one $28 book. You can find all the information at ADHDforsmartwomen.com forward slash book. Please stop this podcast and pre-order right now before you forget.
I know you. I share your brain. Thank you. Once you know, okay, your nervous system is activated, what can you do to deactivate it? (laughs) That is a really, really good question. So once you recognize that you're already activated, steps that you want to do, one of the things that we just mentioned before, we can do the opposite of, which were that is decreased demands, decreased anxiety, increased tolerance, and regain a sense of control. That is one of the the things that we can do to really help limit that. Again, sometimes that's, <laughs> that sounds really simple, but it's a lot easier said than done actually in our life and doing so in an applicable way. But sometimes we can tag team them. So let's say um, decreasing demands, like maybe you need to put laundry away and you need to um, change out the the litter box and you need to do the dishes and you're totally overwhelmed by that. That's too many demands. Okay. Uh, But we want to decrease anxiety, increase tolerance, regain a sense of control. Maybe we have you say, I'm only going to do one of these tasks right now and two of them I could do tomorrow. Maybe we're going to have you put headphones on and have some music you're going to listen to that you really enjoy that's going to increase your tolerance for the activity, even if we can't decrease the demands of that one exactly. Or for me, I will look to demands elsewhere to be like, okay, like uh, I was also going to call my mom later tonight. Sorry, mom, you're going to (laughs) get moved to another day uh, (laughs) moment. So uh, that's one of the things we can do to like really help the brain to understand kind of that we are... uh, there's less stress on us at that time. Now, once we are already at that activated point, we want to complete the stress response cycle. So energy cannot be deleted. It can only be transferred. So, you know, if you think about if you're in a car accident, a car's going 50 miles per hour, it hits that car in front of it, it's going to knock the next car, it's going to knock the next car, the next car until that energy dissipates. If you are sympathetically activated, your body is producing norepinephrine and cortisol, all these components that are going to help your body have this intense amount of energy that it needs to use. If you don't use it, that's when it stays in you and causes and wreaks havoc on your body, like inflammation and all of these then um, uh, stress responses, stress-related diseases from not using up that energy that was then produced. So, wow. Right, <laughs> that exercise, right, and we yes. feel that when we yeah. do it, we're be all stressed out, and you exercise, yeah. and you feel so much better. Okay, yes. that is That's so exactly amazing. energy can't be deleted; it can only be transferred. Exactly. So, what do you mean transferred? So, in this the hypothetical where you feel really stressed and anxious, clearly activated, you work out. Where's that energy going into the ether? Yes, basically. Yeah, like you are you are dissipating it like until like you, you used it. it. We can't just be like energy go away. Like it needs to be used up. So that car okay. wouldn't stop until like there are brakes or until it hits something else. Then that energy though is transferred into that wall, into that thing until it's just kind of absorbed and that energy is kind of like neutralized, I guess we could say is a good word for that. So we want to neutralize that energy. So After we do that, one of the things we want to make sure we do is we want to make sure we process what happened. At some point, your brain is going to want to process what happened. Our hippocampus's job is to record things that were important to our brain and our body. So anything that sympathetically activates us, our brain wants to file that away and log it and say, 
well, that was a tiger. I would like to remember that so we don't have to do that again. I'm going to file that away. That's a lot of filing for an ADHD or brain to do if we're encountering things all the time that are activating our nervous system. But the brain's going to want to process it. This is also where dreams come in. So we think that dreams are like a really... Um, kind of primal way, if we're not processing things like verbally during the day that our brain makes sense, then at night while we're sleeping of all the important things that happen during our day and try to file it away. And when we look at PTSD, what a lot of times happens is the brain doesn't have a filing system for it. It's struggling to make sense of it. It doesn't have a narrative for it. So that's where a lot of PTSD treatment is about helping patients gain that narrative so that they can process the event Mm -hmm. so their brain can make sense of it and file it away. Yeah. But that's what's really important still period with this. And one of my best examples where we see this happen all the time in our society where it's very normalized and we do it all the time is in sports. So when you're watching a sporting event, if you're looking at the crowd, you may notice that, okay, their team's losing. They're getting really nervous. They're maybe getting kind of agitated. They're getting excited. And that nervous system, you're going to see all the symptoms of uh, (laughs) nervous system activation in the crowd. And then the team scores. What do they do? They yell, they scream, they jump, they cheer, they use up that norepinephrine. And then that helps the nervous system to deactivate. And guess what they then do? They go home And we have how many channels like ESPN, Fox Sports, whatnot, that are all geared towards helping people group process what happened and what set off their nervous system. (laughs) This is why I don't understand sports, Kaylin. I love the damn team. I know nothing about them. I'm sitting there watching this and I'm getting all stressed out. I can't formulate. Let's run out of the room, right? Which is the most important part. Go run out of the room. You can't handle it. <laughs> no. Don't we do this to ourselves. <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> and you see it though, like in anything too with like, let's say like The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, they have all these shows or podcasts afterward <laughs> of people talking it out. It's processing. It's processing the thing that stress all of us out. So we do we do it all the time. We do it all the time. And that's why we're able to move on eventually. That so from- fascinating. <laughs> so that is what you think. So all of those talk shows yep. after the sporting yep. events, yep. that's what they're doing. They're trying to get what they're doing. To back down. Yep. And yep. Just and man, file it. Yep. Oh my God. We're all slaves to our biology. Like, but that, uh, the, <laughs> that's so one of my favorite things. Matter? Okay. Yeah. So something, yes. something happened and we... Oh, uh, I don't know. We we flipped out over something that really was not that big of a deal because we didn't put a pause in and we just like nervous system activation, right? So how do we go about processing that so that it doesn't become, well, how do we process it? So maybe we don't do it next time or we do it to a lesser extent next time? Yeah. Yeah. So here's what I usually will tell people to do. So um, first with that complete the stress response cycle, I also want people to do something that's automatic. I don't want it always to be like, I'm going to go to the gym because maybe it's, I'm going to go to the gym three hours from now. It needs to be right in that moment. Mm -hmm. So I don't care if it's you put two of your hands up against the wall and you push as hard as you can on it. I promise you won't go through the wall uh, if it's a sturdy enough wall. (laughs) Um, Sometimes I'll literally, my patients always balk at me for this, but I'll like get on the floor and do some push-ups or something. Like I will, like my wife and I- Your body. 
Yes, exactly. Okay. My, my wife and I will do like this little, like, like little yell and we'll hear each other do it in the house. And that's the sign that, oop, one of us hit our wall with something. But vocalizing in that way too is another way to get out that energy. And also when you vocalize humming, singing, chanting, it's why it's existed throughout history. It vibrates the, the neck, which vibrates then and activates that ventral vagal nerve, which is what controls our parasympathetic nervous system. System. So you kind of get two for two there. You get the energy out and then you also stimulate something that's going to help relax you. So you want to do something in the moment, like move your body, yell into a pillow, like saying, I don't care what it is, but it, you need to do something in that moment, get that energy out. So then processing what happened. This is where um, for each person, it may be different. Like talk about what happened out loud to yourself. Um, sometimes I'll record myself even just talking about like what my feelings were, what I noticed, what's happening in my body, what was the experience like. All of those things are gonna help your brain to spend time with what it was so it can figure out what to do with this. What did this mean? Were we actually really afraid of a tiger? Like, are we afraid of all tigers now? Just certain tigers? <laughs> we want to spend time with it. You can talk to a friend about it. You can journal about it, whatever it is, but you want to spend time with it rather than just like pushing it out of your brain and thinking I can just ignore it. You want to spend time with it. Or if sleep is a good note for me of if I'm not sleeping super well, that there's something my brain's trying to work through. Mm -hmm. And maybe I don't know what it is yet, but that's usually when my sleep ends up interrupted. So I'll give myself more time during the day to just sit and to see what my brain is trying to process in those moments. Yeah, really, really good. So you mentioned bridging the gap. This is what you do between mental and physical health, right? What you're talking about, frankly, right here. How do you integrate these aspects into your approach to wellness and healthcare? Yeah, I mean, it pretty much drives every single part of what it is that I do. It really then comes down to the fact that an understanding of how every everything you interact with, how that really correlates to the response we see in your nervous system is what's telling us what is aligned with you. So it really ends up being, you know, I always say I don't have, um, I got this actually from my own therapist, who's a wonderful person, that I don't have the authority to help anyone, that my goal is to provide help that is helpful to you and you get to name it. Mm -hmm. But that means then that the core piece of ADHD, wellness, and resiliency really lies in you trusting yourself, trusting your body's response, trusting what feels good, and trusting what doesn't feel good. I have so many people who, uh, gosh, I had somebody recently who was really struggling with hypoglycemia or low blood sugars. And hypoglycemia is one of the top five dysregulators of the nervous system. So... <laughs> Another reason that a lot of ADHDers may end up feeling activated, they're hungry. Um, they haven't eaten. That stresses out the nervous system. It is a stressor. And we talked about her carrying some nuts around and she was just going to eat some cashews. She didn't tell me for about three weeks that she actually felt terrible eating the cashews. It was actually setting off some other food sensitivities that she had, but she was like, well, you said it would help me. So she... <laughs> 
So this is where though that like for an ADHD or so much of this, when we tie this together for this to work, the step one is the fact that nobody knows your body better than you do. Nobody knows your mind better than you do. You have to be able to trust your own discomfort, to trust your own comfort both ways. You have to be able to that like, I don't know better for you. A book doesn't know better for you. Your doctor doesn't know better for you. And that is very opposite in our culture and what you probably grew up being taught as someone with ADHD that again, know your context for how you make choices and how you understand your body is wrong. But I'm here to tell you, no, it was right. It was always right for you. Totally, totally 100%. We get sucked into this learned helplessness because from the time, you know, you're little, like you're constantly told you're wrong or you're made to feel that you're wrong. Well, you start trust, you stop trusting yourself. Completely. And of course you would. That's, that's part of it too. That like, you know, of course, but it's one of those things that it really drives then people to, um, really be very clear with what their intention for living life is, which I find that that's also very helpful to ADHDers. Again, like we see full picture. So really understanding your choice point, your values allows them then to really tap into that creative decision-making that they're so good at when they really understand this is why I'm doing this. Like this is, uh, this is aligned with my values or this is aligned with how my body works, how my brain works. And that really allows them to then not take on all of that, you know, shame and guilt and everything that everyone else is trying to put on them, but really feeling confident in being themselves and anything different that's garnered to really elicit a response from others would yield an expectation that exists to avoid a feared outcome, which is where I so often see that rejection-sensitive dysphoria or the people-pleasing pop up. And I always remind my patients then that an expectation is a predetermined resentment. Okay, hold on. An expectation is a predetermined resentment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if we also are, you know, this is probably the hardest thing I have with um, patients in doing this work is they say, okay, so you want me to notice my nervous system is activated and then you want me to advocate then for these things that I need to be comfortable or that my body needs. Well, me advocating for my needs is actually very activating. It's extremely wow. activating for ADHDers. It's mm-hmm. very uncomfortable. And this is where I always say, okay, we've got a choice point though. We can either get your nervous system kind of desensitized to uh, and increase the distress tolerance to people setting, stepping on your boundaries, to the loss of control, to feeling the weight of demands, or we can increase your distress tolerance to telling those people, those places and things, no, or removing yourself from the situation. Mm-hmm. And so there's this really hard period when we first are starting to do this work where it kind of feels worse before it feels better because it's recognizing, okay, well, one of the reasons I wasn't making that choice was because that actually brought me a lot of discomfort and a lot of activation. But really looking at though, you know, if we are being really, really nice to somebody, being really, really loving to them because we don't want them to be mad at us when we show up late for every appointment, that that is an expectation 
And that if that person then still ends up mad at us, we end up resenting the fact, well, no, 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 I was, I was really, really nice to you. Like, why are they mad at me? I was so nice to them. When really what we want for the ADHD to do is to live a life and make the choices that are aligned with them and then allow the other person to respond as they do and just know if that's how they respond, then that person was never for you, that you didn't do anything wrong, that you, there's nothing wrong with you. You don't need to adjust. That person just wasn't for you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Wonderful. I have heard so many great things from our podcast episode of a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting where I will, this just happened to me. I just recorded a podcast. I can't remember who it was with. And she mentioned that she found the podcast and then she found you and then she ended up working with you. And then there was this big full circle. Then she's on the podcast, right? <laughs> yes. It's true. You must do amazing work. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It is It is the absolute... I pinch myself still like every day that I get to do this work, that I get to like bear witness to honestly neurodivergent pain and then neurodivergent joy. Like it is such a true pleasure and an honor to get to walk with people through understanding their bodies and minds and curating that life that's fit for them. Yeah. And then knowing the before picture, right? And seeing mm-hmm. the after picture and yes. how literally it's like a 180. It's just amazing how quickly it happens, right? Once we oh my gosh. Yes. That's the thing too. That's so cool about, again, being a slave to our biology. Our biology though, is either moving towards pleasure or moving away from pain. So once we find the thing that is comfortable for the body or comfortable for the brain, it's going to latch onto that quickly. So if we can get that thing, like that life can change really quick. The brain's going to be like, I like this option better. (laughs) This one feels good. It's going to log that one. That's going to build that new neural pathway, that neuroplasticity where we're learning new habits. And if it feels good, we get more blood flow to the area. We get more energy going there to really solidify that response. But I always like to remind people when you maybe revert back to what was, or you make a choice that like old Kaylin would have made and just completely ignored her body, uh, which I literally did just really recently when we were in Walt Disney World was like, I'm fine. Let me just push through and ride all these roller coasters. And I did not feel well. (laughs) Yeah, it was not good. But yeah. You're so anxious, right? Like, I know. like why? And I was like that as a small child. Like everybody yes. has loved that stuff. I could not handle it. Nope. It was too much, too overstimulating. But I always remind people that when we're building these new neural pathways, these new choices, these new habits, we can't delete the old ones. They're mm-hmm. always still there. That's that idea of like, you can't teach an old dog a new trick. No, you can teach it a new trick, but you can't delete the old trick. So there are going to be times where maybe you taught it now to go to the bathroom at the front door, where you used to go to the bathroom at the back door, that it's going to still run to the back door sometimes. Yeah. That neural pathway is still there. We just give you now another option. So it's not a bad thing. You didn't do anything wrong if you fell back into that. And I promise there's going to be a time when you're 85 and you're like, God, why did I just, you know, totally ignore when somebody like called me lazy and I was just like, yep, yes, I'm lazy. Like, why did that happen again? I've known that I'm not for 30, 40 years. Okay. Well, that pathway had 30 years, 40 years, 50 years to really gain traction, to really dig in. It's still there. We're just giving you another response so that the mark of wellness 
for an ADHD year isn't the absence of these thoughts, isn't the absence of nervous system activation. It's just you noticing them and deciding how you want to respond. Yeah. Free will. Go figure. Yeah. <laughs> we thought we didn't have any, right? That our <laughs> just had a, I mean, our brain just had a mind of its own and it just went running off and doing whatever and we couldn't control it. Yep. Okay, Kaylin, what's your number one workaround? Oh gosh. Okay. So my number one workaround is something that I mentioned earlier. I really thought a lot about this, but it really is believing myself. It is believing my body. Like, you know, I don't have to struggle with my ADHD much at all when I recognize that I'm not the problem, that the environment or the expectation of the task is. So I just think, okay, me not liking doing this or how I'm doing it isn't the problem. How how can I do this different? You know, I always think about um, plants. Um, we love biodiversity in nature. And we're like, okay, this is fabulous. Look at all the biodiversity in the rainforest. And if we had two plants out on our balcony and we put them in the same water, sunlight, and soil, and if one of them started to wilt, we wouldn't say, you're diseased, you're disordered, there's something wrong yeah. with you, you're lazy. <laughs> we would say, you need something different to thrive. And we would alter the environment. We would alter the soil, the water, the sunlight. So that is my number one workaround, remembering that I'm just a plant and I just need to give myself what I need to thrive. And when something doesn't feel right, I just haven't found that thing that I need to feel good and doing what I'm doing. Totally. Totally. So Kaylin, are you working on something you want to tell us about? Yeah, right now, what we're really, really excited about is my wife and I are actually going to team up and we are going to start a community of people who are looking to uh, really heal, belong, and grow together through this nervous system healing. We're doing a lot of working with people recovering from burnout, recovering from long COVID, because long COVID, what we're really seeing is that impacts the nervous system. Um, working with people with um, autoimmune issues or being unexplainably unwell. Again, my wife has multiple scler sclerosis, so this is something that's really close to us as well. So um, her and I will be leading that community and we'll be doing a lot of teaching on the nervous system, providing a lot of evidence-based uh, knowledge and approaches to really being able to heal, but then also having a community of people who are going to be using a lot of this language that I talked about today, because that's hard when you have a family and you're like, oh, that activated my nervous system. They're like, what are you talking about? Like, I, <laughs> I don't know. So having a community where we've got the language of, you know, diverse minds, but also the language then of healing a diverse mind, especially through the nervous system. So, so that'll where, be launched. Where do they go? Where do you want to send us? Yes, yes. So go to my website. So that's kaylajohnson.com. That's where you're going to find information on working with me one-on-one -on -one and signing up for our community, which is called Diverse Minds. Uh, the community is going to be launching here before the end of the year, 2023. If you want to hear first about it, go ahead and sign up for my newsletter, which you can do so on my website. I will send out information there. Eventually, though, there will be the link on the website to go ahead and join up. If you do want to work with me one-on-one, -on -one, that's already up on my website. You can sign up for a free initial consult to meet with me to see if my sort of support would be something that would feel supportive and helpful to you. And we can talk about working together. But that's where you can find me at kaylinjohnson.com. Wonderful. Wonderful. And we'll put this in the show notes. Thank you again so much for spending time with us here today. This was brilliant. 
Thank you so much. It was absolutely wonderful. It's always a pleasure to come and chat with you and to uh, really engage with your community. It's one of my favorite places to be. Uh, it's it's helped me for sure in you know being in this place in my life now where everything feels spectacular. You've got a wonderful community of people. I do. I'm so lucky. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kaylin. You're so welcome. So that's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Kaylin, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal, you know, it's to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so they too may discover their amazing strengths. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smart Ass Women. Come join me over at ADHDforsmartwomen.com. I'm still getting used to saying that. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smart Ass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka. Join us at ADHDforsmartwomen.com, where you can find more information on my new book, ADHD for Smart Ass Women, and my patented Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system to help you get unstuck and fall in love with your brilliant brain.